Truth News Network. A president lies. You know he's lying. He knows you know he's lying. And you know he knows you know. So what do you do? Hmm? You might want to figure it out. How about someone telling the truth? We can help you with that. We're TNN, the Truth News Network. And the man you can rely on is Dan Newman. Have you ever heard that explanation? Well, I know you lied to me. And you know that I know you lied to it. And I know you know that I know you lied to it. It just goes on and on and on and on. There's no way to stop it. There's no way to explain it. It just happens over and over again. And you know what? If you don't lie, if nobody in that equation lies at all, nobody has to worry about who thinks what. Wouldn't it be interesting? Wouldn't it be kind of neat if everybody just said, hey, we're all going to tell the truth about everything. Let the chips fall where they may. I think we used to live in a society built primarily on that. I don't know. I'm just saying. Think about it. How do you, when you find out, when when you get so disappointed, somebody you've always trust, you've always trusted them, and you find out, you catch them in a lie. And it may not be anything disastrous, but nevertheless, it's still a lie. So what do you do? How do you handle it going forward? I learned a, a lesson from my dad a long time ago. When somebody lied to me or when somebody broke a promise to me, which is technically a lie, and I as a kid would get so upset, I'd say, Dad, what should I do? And he used to look at me. Every time I would do that, I didn't learn my lesson the first time, he'd look at me and say, how are you ever going to know what they say is true, what you should believe and what you shouldn't? How are you ever going to know what they say is truthful or not truthful. So I said, what do I do? And he said, start at this point. Don't believe anything they say is truthful. Truthful enough for you to make a decision based on that. Find the facts for yourself. That's an interesting perspective, isn't it? Boy, I tell you what, in the stuff that we're living in right now today, there's plenty of opportunity to operate from that perspective. I think, I'm not sure, but I think most of you will agree. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. Already fifth day of October. We're getting set for Halloween. Oh, my goodness. With everything going on around the nation, how do you think moms and dads are going to think about their kids trick-or-treating this year? I never liked it. I mean, when when I was a kid, I did, but that was when mom would just say, here's your bag go in the neighborhood and knock door to door and tell them trick or treat and fill the bag up. I'll see you later tonight. And then mom and dad thought about it. They kind of looked at it as a a night together with the kids gone. Boy, that changed a long time ago, didn't it? I got to be honest with you folks. It's hard to find anything that you can just have faith in and benignly not even think about the cost or the potential consequences of doing something involving those people. But here we are today. We're in the middle of it. Joe Biden's president of the United States. Nancy Pelosi is speaker of the House. Chuck Schumer, the minority leader in the Senate. And we don't know if they know what the heck is going on. We do think 
that they know we can't decide if anything they're saying is the truth. Here we go again, back and forth. I, we've never, we've never lived in this before. I mean, we've had some debacles in our administrations. I mean, you had Richard Nixon. He, he was, just to be honest with you, a chronic, bald-faced, pathological liar, and he got busted. Now, this is before they had internet or satellite television. All they had was print media and three television national networks, period. So you didn't have the ability to go to the web and get any answers or anything. You couldn't look on satellite feeds and see somebody doing something in real time. You couldn't do any of that. So back then, Nixon got caught doing some really bad stuff. How much did he get away with that he didn't get caught doing? We'll never know. How much are our leaders doing today that they won't get caught and we'll never know what it is? I can tell you this. One fundamental principle I suggest that you consider adopting, where there's smoke, there's fire. When you see a fire, look behind the fire and figure out who set the fire and why. Instead of just stopping at, hey, there's a fire. Those days of us having that privilege, folks, are over. They are gone. So what are your plans for the balance of the week? What you got going on? Another work week? Kids in school? You're doing your thing? trying to fill your day and get everything accomplished that you need to, that's pretty much a normal day for most Americans. It really is. You either work in the home or you work outside the home. You either do virtual stuff or you do things in in person. You've got all of these extra worries and concerns and frets that just fill your day, in many cases needlessly, But because those things are out there and they're perpetually on your horizon of consideration, you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of your family, your spouse, your kids. And so you've got to get a grip on all this stuff. But then it used to be where you could go objectively and find out things. You could ask questions, get answers, trust the answers, and make decisions. You know what my prayer is this morning? I, I, I thought this as I was standing at the keyboard at prayer at 6 o'clock. I was standing there saying, you know what? God, give us, give us that atmosphere back. Let us live again one more time in an atmosphere where we can just accept what we're told from people that we in the past just automatically believed everything they said because they were always telling us the truth. Can we get back to that for just a little bit? I mean, I'm 68 years old. Come on now. I don't want to have to start a life where my fundamental perspective is don't believe anything that anybody says. That's a tough place in which to live. How do you make it through that kind of stuff? How do you keep fear from just dominating everything? All of your thoughts originate in fear. For those of you that may be right there, and you're looking for an answer, let me give you a good place to start. Prayer. You don't have to go to church and answer an invitation by a, a speaker, a pastor, an evangelist, 
to be able to pray. You don't have to do that. Prayer is a conversation between you and God. You know when I do my best praying? When I'm traveling, when I'm going between places. And I'm not necessarily talking about city to city. I'm talking about around town. Take two, three, four, five minutes and just talk to God. Just you and God in the car. And let me encourage you to do this. Ask some specific questions in your prayer and wait for your answers. But you know what we're guilty of doing, or I'm guilty. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're past this. But what I'm guilty of doing is asking God a question, and then I don't shut up. I just keep going, talking about whatever I'm asking the question for. When you have a conversation with somebody and you ask them a question, what do you do? You shut up and wait for the answer to come. Do the same thing in your prayer. Ask a specific question and then wait to get a specific answer. Now you say, Dan, I do that. I've done that a lot. But, you know, most of the time I don't get an answer. Well, maybe not getting an answer is his answer. You ever thought about that? And I know I'm a sexist. I said he, God. Oh, well, that's another conundrum. (laughs) They're everywhere. They're everywhere. But guess what, folks? The best is yet to come. We're going to get through all this. We really are. So do you want to get right to it today? Let me point you, first of all, to today's website cover story, truthnewsnet.org. One of my favorite people in American politics, in life in general, a speaker and orator, a clinician when it comes to dumbing things down enough for me to understand everything he talks about, Victor David Hansen. He's an amazing academic. I still, to this day, I, I listen to him. I read his stuff. I've seen him on television shows over and over and over again. I have no idea if he's a conservative or a liberal. I think he's a conservative. I doubt very much in his being a Republican. I don't think he's, he's a political hack in any way. But he always seems to grab and portray a perspective about all kinds of things that are going on. And they make sense. Maybe maybe it's me. Maybe I really need somebody to dumb it down, and he knows that about me, and he writes that way. I don't know. But he put something out today that we published this morning at truthnewsnet.org. Go check it out. It's about the woke folks. Ooh, the woke folks. And that's not the title or anything in it, but he explains a lot of things about wokeness that I've never understood. And I get it now. I encourage you to do the same thing. Lots of nastiness going on, lots of important things to talk about, which is exactly what we're doing right now. Do you know the name Francis Collins? You've seen him before. He is now the former director of the National Institutes of Health. Anthony Fauci's quote-unquote boss. Well, he resigns. He resigns as the director of the NIH. And he did so because of -of gain-of-function falsehood being exposed. So he announced his resignation late yesterday, just weeks after documents came to light, exposing that he made untruthful comments about U.S. federal funding of that gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. 
Interesting, huh? It wasn't Anthony Fauci that got busted for lying because Anthony Fauci, he lied about it himself over and over and over and over again. Anthony Fauci was the one that promulgated, promulgated getting the stuff done so that those grants coming from the NIH, Dr. Collins involved, along with Anthony Fauci and others, they didn't go directly from the National Institutes of Health to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They had a middleman, EcoHealth, that is under all kind of federal and international investigations right now. And then EcoHealth passed out the grants to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Dr. Collins said this, It's been an incredible privilege to lead this great agency for more than a decade. I love the agency and its people so deeply that the decision to step down was a difficult one, done in close counsel with my wife, Diane Baker, and my family. I'm proud of all we've accomplished. I fundamentally believe, however, that no single person should serve in a position too long and that it's time to bring a new scientist to lead the NIH into the future. I'm most grateful and proud of the NIH staff and the scientific community whose extraordinary commitment to life-saving research delivers hope to the American people and the world every day. He didn't mention anything in there about, hey, y'all, I got caught. I got caught lying, and I'm resigning to keep from getting fired. Just weeks, a couple of weeks before the announcement, Richard Ebright of Rutgers University accused Collins of lying about the NIH grants to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They've since been proven to fund that study of chimeric SARS-related coronaviruses, which could infect humans. Ebright bluntly said Collins had not told the truth. Another version of that is... Collins told a lie about the research. So, historically, Dr. Collins was appointed by Obama the year after his first term started, and he became the longest-serving National Institutes of Health director and one who also served in three administrations, Obama, Trump, and Biden. Before that, he founded the BioLogos Foundation, which was created to bridge a dialogue between science and religion. Never heard much about him at all. But he's history, and he is a victim to lying, political exposed. I wonder who opened the door and made him the sacrificial lamb. You want me to give you an educated guess? Probably, probably Anthony Fauci threw Dr. Collins under the bus. Just saying. Now, Collins was in the daisy chain of uh, authorities at the NIH. Collins was, he was at the top. Fauci was below him. But Fauci was the one that had all of the pizzazz. He's the one that had every ear of everybody of importance of pretty much everybody. I mean, he had the founder of Microsoft in his pocket. Or so he thinks. He has the president in his pocket, or so he thinks. I'm talking, of course, about Fauci. The book's still out on Fauci, and I think Collins taking the dive on behalf of, I think, Dr. Anthony Fauci. There's got to be, and there will be. Watch. 
there will be some quid pro quo. Expect in the upcoming days and weeks for us to hear something even more serious that Fauci in the past or currently is involved in that's going to be exposed. Be sure your sins will find you out. So what else is happening today? Well, California's governor, emboldened now by the California people's absolutely saying, Gavin, we want you to stay in Sacramento and be our guy again. So now he's on the war path. He got the rest of the California Democrats to join him, and they have now banned state-funded travel to a bunch of states now, and they're doing so in protest on social issues that the bans now cover one-third of the United States by population. Now, they're not banning you or me by name, and I was in California two weeks ago. but they're banning states and people from California going to other states and people from these other states coming to California. So here's how it works. The Sacramento Bee noted this. California Democrats wanted to send a message when they passed a law five years ago that banned taxpayer-funded travel to states that allow businesses to deny services to gay and transgender people. California leaders took a stand but they didn't discourage Republican states from adopting those so-called religious freedom laws. Since then, California has banned state-funded travel to 18 different states with a total population of 117 million people. That's a little more than a third of the total population of the U.S. The latest addition came in September. Attorney General Rob Bonta announced a a ban on state-funded travel to Ohio. And the reason? A new state law that lets doctors cite their moral or religious beliefs in denying care to a patient. You know, there's that constitutional thing, freedom to think. Oh, my gosh. The B. And they're, they're one of the best newspapers in America. They actually are one of the few that still write and publish just news rather than, hey, here's the news and here's what the news means, which is what every other big periodical does. The B notes, it's impossible to drive cross-country without going through at least one state to which California bans state-funded travel. Moreover, California prohibits state-funded travel to 18 of the 25 states where most voters voted for Donald Trump. The law has a bunch of exceptions. You know that. Public college athletic teams, for example, travel to ban states using private money, yada, yada, yada. In other words, it's symbolic. It has no substance. It's stupid. It's elitist. But you know what? When you wrap all that up in a big, big package with a big, big bow and you open it, what's inside? Gavin Newsom, he fits the role. So they're not coming to Louisiana. They're not coming to Texas. Where are they going to go? Where's the Super Bowl coming up? That's a good question. So based on that, based upon the governor thing, it doesn't matter if uh, the Los Angeles Rams or the Chargers, 
or the San Francisco 49ers, the Raiders are gone. The Raiders are in Las Vegas now. But if any one of those teams make it to the Super Bowl, Californians aren't going to go. At least government people are not going to be able to go. Ah, Gavin Newsom, based on the law his legislators passed, they're not going to be able to go to the Super Bowl. (laughs) This will show you just how stupid this whole thing is. Can you believe they spend the time and effort and money to do something like this? Because at best, it's only symbolic. It means not you, if you think, if you for one minute think that if the 49ers are in the Super Bowl, Gavin Newsom won't go, he lives in San Francisco. He's been there forever. He owns a big mansion. He sold another big mansion in San Francisco. That's where he goes when he and his wife want a night on the town. <laughs> they live in Sacramento. That's where the government is. But I've driven that. In fact, uh, typically when I go to California, I end up in Modesto. That's in the central part of California. It's just over the mountain range out of San Francisco. And multiple times I've, I'll fly into Sacramento and then go down to Fisherman's Wharf and have dinner in San Francisco. So, so I, I mean, it's an easy trek. So I got to be honest with you. I don't have a big favorite this year in the Superdome, Super in, in the run for the Super Bowl. I'm a Saints fan because I'm a Louisiana guy. Dallas, eh, not so much. I'm closer. People think because you live in Louisiana, you're right around New Orleans. We're 350 miles northwest of New Orleans, but we're only 180 miles due east of Dallas. And there are a lot of Cowboy fans in northwest Louisiana. I'm not particularly one of them, but it depends on who they're playing. So speaking of California, you heard all the stuff yesterday. You couldn't surf your Facebook page. You couldn't catch up on everything. Facebook went down, folks. I mean, down. But before we get into that, there's something else and probably even bigger going on right now that involves Facebook. The New York Times published a story a few days ago that outlines why a bunch of leaked internal Facebook documents show that Facebook is in more trouble than anybody ever thought. The Times forecast a storm brewing in Facebook's future. And that was before the Masters of the Universe suffered a catastrophic outage of services that lasted seven hours yesterday. I I just couldn't believe Facebook was gone. WhatsApp is gone. Instagram was gone. Most of the day yesterday. Facebook is weaker than we knew is the title of that New York Times article. Interesting. Facebook files series from the Wall Street Journal, which includes information obtained from leaked internal Facebook documentation, shows the company is in a bad spot on a lot of fronts. Other news outlets have reported extensively on the Facebook files series from that Wall Street Journal series, which made a number of damning claims about the tech giant based on a series of internal company company documents. According to the journal, the internal documents revealed that the tech giant Apple threatened to remove Facebook from its app store in 2019 following a report from BBC News 
that detailed the human trafficking taking place across their social media platform, Facebook. I mean, I've never seen anything like that, but I can understand. You know, we here in America, we, we, we think about social media as being American, but it's really not. I mean, Google is technically a Chinese company. Facebook, I mean, they've got like seven, six, five, I don't know, but billions of people that are on Facebook around the world. Twitter the same way. In another report titled, Facebook Knows Instagram is Toxic for Teen Girls, the Wall Street Journal claims that Facebook is aware that its photo-sharing app Instagram can have a negative effect on the body image of young women. The Times claims that one way to view the leaks that Facebook is a tech giant willing to disregard its damage to society just to make money. But another way to look at it is that Facebook is in big trouble. A guy named Kevin Roos, he's a writer for the New York Times. Here's what he said about it. Quote, not financial trouble or legal trouble or even senators yelling at Mark Zuckerberg trouble. What I'm talking about, he said, is a kind of slow, steady decline that anyone who has ever seen a dying company up close can recognize. It's a cloud of existential dread that hangs over an organization whose best days are behind it, influencing every managerial priority and product decision, and leading to increasingly desperate attempts to find a way out. This kind of decline is not necessarily visible from the outside. But insiders see a hundred small, disquieting signs of it every day. User hostile growth hacks, frenetic pivots, executive paranoia, the gradual attrition of talented colleagues. They're heading for the doors. It's become fashionable among Facebook critics to emphasize the company's size and dominance while bashing all of its missteps. In a Senate hearing last week, lawmakers grilled Antigone Davis, Facebook's global head of safety, with questions about the company's addictive product design and the influence it has over its billions of users. Many of the questions to Ms. Davis were hostile. But as with most big tech hearings, there was an odd sort of deference in the air as if the lawmakers were asking, hey, Godzilla, would you please stop stomping on Tokyo? But if all of these leaked documents proved anything, it's how un-Godzilla-like Facebook feels. Zuckerberg's panicking. Internally, the company worries that it's losing power and influence, not gaining it. And its own research shows that many of its products aren't doing well organically, which means just spreading through the populace. Instead, it's going to increasingly extreme lengths to improve its toxic image and to stop users from abandoning its apps in favor of more compelling alternatives. In other words, competition. Roos points to documents leaked by the Wall Street Journal which show that Facebook was developing strategies to better market itself towards kids, stating that preteens are a valuable but untapped audience. Roos asked if Facebook was confident in its market position. Would it need to leverage play dates or develop marketing strategies towards preteens. And obviously, folks, 
It's coming from Zuckerberg. He's the guy, and he's paranoid that he's losing his power. Interesting, huh? So this thing just keeps rolling along. It's it, it it's just it's just really interesting. And then now we have this Facebook whistleblower out there. Somebody in management. In fact, you're going to hear from her in just a second. In management there. She came out and she has just busted Facebook on a bunch of fronts. So I thought this was important enough for everybody in America. I mean, everybody's got a Facebook account. And everybody doesn't. I'm using that loosely. But most Americans have Facebook accounts and at least look at Facebook every once in a while. So this is a former employee turned whistleblower, and this employee is headed to Capitol Hill to testify. Listen in. Now to Washington in those stunning accusations from a former Facebook employee who spoke with 60 Minutes. Francis Haugen will testify to the Senate about internal company data showing potentially dangerous consequences from Facebook's recent actions. Chris Van Cleve reports from Capitol Hill. Ahead of her testimony this morning, former Facebook employee Frances Haugen and her legal team filed at least eight complaints with the Security and Exchange Commission, obtained by CBS News from a congressional source. There were conflicts of interest between what was good for the public and what was good for Facebook. And Facebook over and over again chose to optimize for its own interests, like making more money. She'll testify before the Senate, urging stronger regulation and claiming Facebook became a trillion-dollar company by paying for its profits with our safety, including the safety of our children. Haugen told 60 Minutes' Scott Pelley Facebook needs a complete reboot, and CEO Mark Zuckerberg needs to take action. It can't start from the place of, we have a problem. We need to declare moral bankruptcy. We need to to put it on the table. We need to admit what we've done. And then we need to work from there to making something better. Moral bankruptcy? Yeah. Moral bankruptcy is an opportunity for Mark, for Facebook, to come in and say, we completely messed up. We have to reorganize the company. I agree completely. So far, we've seen no acknowledgement, no accountability, no commitment to disclose everything in their files. No agreement that there have to be reforms. That is, in effect, moral bankruptcy in my view. Senator Richard Blumenthal will chair the hearing. He expects bipartisan outrage over reports Facebook hid the potential risks of suicide and negative body image its Instagram platform may pose to children and teens. I think that what we're seeing is big tech's big tobacco moment. What we're seeing here is Facebook through Instagram confronting how its own greed is putting kids at risk. And that's a big tobacco moment. Facebook tells CBS News every day our teams have to balance protecting the ability of billions of people to express themselves openly with the need to keep our platform a safe and positive place. We continue to make significant improvements to tackle the spread of misinformation and harmful content. Senator Blumenthal believes regulations will be necessary and that could include legal liability for platforms for content posted on their sites and apps. Let me ask you this, Richard Blumenthal, the most feckless United States senator, and you heard him pontificate there, oh, I I see Facebook having its big tobacco moment. 
Well, what the heck did Big Tobacco's moment do to anybody about anything? You know what it's all about? Oh, my gosh. It's full of carcinogenics, uh, carcinogens. These cigarettes and, oh, my gosh, inhaling all that stuff at your lungs, you're going to get lung cancer and you're going to die, and we've got to stop this. We've got we've to get Americans to stop using this stuff. We heard all that over and over. It was like a cycle every couple of years. Here we go again, the tobacco thing. I have a friend and local attorney here who was the guy who put together and won the first billion-dollar settlement against Big Tobacco over what it does to our bodies when people smoke cigarettes. So Congress, they all step up and they applaud. Look what we did. Look what we did. (laughs) All they did was they opened the door to some facts that everybody else pretty much knew already. But they didn't stop Big Tobacco from doing anything. Every year, Big Tobacco's profits still, they soar, they soar, they soar. And guess what? Big Tobacco have lobbyists. And what do lobbyists do? (laughs) I bet you if you look down Richard Blumenthal's contributors list, There's going to be some lobbyists on that list that have made major contributions to U.S. Senator Richard Blumenthal. And those lobbyists, I guarantee you, at least in part, they work for big tobacco. So this mess that he's talking about, as well as other people in the House of Representatives in the Senate about, we got to tackle big tech. They're too big. They're too powerful. Well, they are too big, and they are too powerful. But with power comes lots of money. Do you know that Mark Zuckerberg and his wife, in the November 3rd, 2020 election, in a run-up to it, They founded this little bitty not-for-profit. It's headquartered in the Midwest. I can't remember if it's in Chicago. I think it is in Chicago. But they spent $200 million in contributions. And you know what it was earmarked for? It was to fund in small communities throughout the upper Midwest, specifically Michigan, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, Wisconsin, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the sources to upgrade their technology for voting for that election. Why do you think they would do that? Well, number one, conspirator that I am, um, the money went to buy and install Dominion voting systems in all these outlier counties around these states and Dominion voting systems. It's been proven again and again. I don't know if anything's going to happen egregiously, but there is corruption and open possibility for much worse than that built into some of the Dominion software that's used to run and manage elections. So yeah, big tech is too big. They have too much money unless they used it for good stuff, but doing stuff like that, it's not good. So what's going to happen to Facebook? I don't know. I have no idea, but I can tell you this. 
They need to be popped. They need to have their wings clipped because, folks, kids are committing suicide. Now, Facebook is not Instagram, but Instagram is Facebook. You know what I mean? Kids today, my grandkids, I mean, TikTok, Instagram, they're all over it. It's like a Bible, and they go to it nonstop all day. They get in trouble. Parents have to take phones late at night, not let them log in and surf Instagram and TikTok and whatever the app of the week is. Big tech is too powerful. And I mean pretty much across the board and everything that goes on in the nation. And it's dangerous. If they're going to make the noise like you just heard Senator Blumenthal make, they need to just shut up talking about it and get them in front of Congress, put a bill together to rein them in that is substantive and will stop what you say needs to be stopped. Don't treat it like you did big tobacco. Do something. Do something that has teeth in it that can change some things and protect our kids. I mean, I know a lot of adults that live their lives on Facebook. There are people that actually, and I mean millions of people around the world that make major income from Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and YouTube, Google. And I'm not discouraging that in any way, but what I am saying, just because you can do something doesn't automatically that you should do something. You understand the difference? Oh, it's legal for you to do this or do that. Well, that doesn't mean it's morally okay. That doesn't mean that in doing that, you knowingly are going to hurt some people. So because it's legal for you to do it, you're just going to go ahead and do it. That's not the way it works. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Mark Zuckerberg, do the right thing. Richard Blumenthal in the U.S. Senate, do the right thing. And by the way, President Joe Biden, do the right thing. Are you ready for best life minus the burnout? I'm Zuri Hall from NBC's Access Hollywood, and my new podcast, Hot Happy Mess, is all about the most important VIP, you. Join us each Monday as we discuss relationships, self-care, career, and much more. Our podcast is for mindful, ambitious, diverse millennial women who are ready for more happiness, laughter, peace, and purpose now. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, and it's easy to see why. Listen to Hot Happy Mess every week on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Few things bring as much joy as the delicious taste of Coca-Cola. Like your first time camping or falling in love on a blind date. And now, our new Coke bottles are sip-sized and made from 100% recycled materials. So every bottle can live on to create more memories. That's endlessly refreshing. Coca-Cola. Bottles are made from 100% recycled materials excluding cap and label. Enjoy the great taste of Coca-Cola in a new sip-sized bottle that's made of 100% recycled materials. Today on Hey Culligan, softer equals better. Here's a tweet from Ed Itchy in Idaho. Hey Culligan, my laundry is so scratchy, I just cut myself on a cable knit sweater. Any suggestions? Hashtag send help. Hey Ed Itchy in Idaho, yes, the Culligan High Efficiency Water Softener will make that thing so soft, it'll go from cable knit to cable knot. Itchy. Hashtag soft laundry. Hashtag already on the way. Get started for as little as $10 a month for six months at participating Culligan dealers. If you think we're just four wheels and a grill, think again. The Jeep Grand Cherokee redefines freedom. 
But what really makes Jeep? It's finding the perfect balance between luxury and adventure without ever compromising. It's driving across the country to see your family, to make new memories. So, what makes Jeep? You do. Jeep. There's only one. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Married to the truth, divorced from the lies, fighting for the future. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And again, Dan Newman. Hey, have you um have you heard what happened to Arizona Senator Kristen Cinema? Now she's a Democrat, and remember what Democrats were all about last week. Hey, we've got to pass these two massive pieces of legislation, $1.2 trillion. Uh, that's an infrastructure bill. And then $3.5 trillion more, that is a budget reconciliation bill, spending bill, for Joe Biden. Well, it needed 50 votes in the Senate to get it passed. There would have been a 50-50 tie, but then, of course, Vice President Kamala Harris, who was the president of the Senate, she would cast the deciding vote. So with 50 U.S. Senators, which there are 50 Democrats in the Senate, just like there are 50 Republicans, Biden would get a win. Well, it didn't work out that way because Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Kristen Sinema from Arizona, they did something very unusual. We don't see it much in Washington, D.C. these days. They stood up and made a choice to not vote for those two bills based on principle. Go figure. Anybody in Congress would do anything based upon something being wrong or something being right. And they did just that. She has been excoriated. So has Joe Manchin. I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, the Potomac River runs right through the heart of Washington, D.C. Joe Manchin, instead of He's, he's been down there for a while now, a number of years. Um, he was first a congressman, then he was governor at one time of West Virginia, and now he's a U.S. senator. He never bought a place down there, but what he did buy was a really nice yacht, and he keeps his yacht moored in the Potomac River. And so yesterday, some kayakers, a big group of them that are political activists, They knew he was going to be on a yacht, so they just got in their kayaks and went out to the yacht and started screaming and hollering to get him to come out so they could tell him about what they think about his not agreeing to vote for the $3.5 trillion and the $1.2 trillion bills. Kristen Sinema got so badly treated, people were a bunch of sycophants followed her into a public restroom and begin to scream at her, they are, according to what they said, voters in Arizona that voted for her and because she promised to do those things, those Democrat things, and she's not doing it because she's evil. I mean, it got really, really bad. It's been in your face ever since this thing happened. And just a little aside, guess what we discovered? It was all orchestrated, all this pushback. And you know by whom? George Soros. He put $250,000 in the pockets of a lobbying group to hire these people and get them to chase cinema and Joe Manchin all over the place, harassing them. 
Well, then there's another great orator in news that stepped forward and he made his place known very quickly on Monday's broadcast of CNN's AC360. And you know who that is. It's Anderson Cooper. Anderson got on his bully pulpit and he pushed back against attempts to excuse the protesters, those protesters who followed Kirsten Cinema into a bathroom. And here's what he did. He asked if the reaction would be the same if Trump supporters were following some Democrats into a bathroom while they were going to the bathroom, following Speaker Pelosi into a women's room. So Anna Navarro, she's a CNN political commentator. She said the fact that the protesters went into the bathroom is upsetting. But if you hear what these protesters were saying, if you hear what these, and they're not just protesters, they're constituents of Kirsten Cinema. They are people who supported her. They are people who knocked on doors for her, who feel betrayed, and who are telling their senators their story and why this bill is important to them. Cooper then jumped in. And he said the protest wasn't actually about convincing cinema, but was really about theater by activists. So Navarro responded that the protest was about making it known their displeasure with their senator. Let's remember that this senator was Kirsten Sinema. She was once a protester herself. Navarro continued that she doesn't like the protesters' behavior, but what these young people did, that wasn't threats. That wasn't shouting. That wasn't bad words. That wasn't offensive. It's much worse what we saw being done to Lindsey Graham or when Mitt Romney got called a traitor. Later in the broadcast, after referencing the White House's response to the incident, Cooper said, Anna, would you feel the same way if they were pro-supporters of the, who felt very passionately that the election had been stolen against the former president and were following some Democrats into a bathroom while they were going to the bathroom, following Speaker Pelosi into a women's room? I mean, would that, is it fair for anybody just because they're passionate about something to be able to do this? Navarro answered that the protesters' behavior was quote-unquote inappropriate. But when you put it in context with what we've seen, there were no threats. There were no offenses. There was no screaming. Anderson, I've had worse said to me. So Cooper cut into the argument to say that following someone into a bathroom is creepy, (laughs) with which Navarro agreed. It's just interesting to me to hear anybody on CNN actually come up and make a statement that has even a little bit of substance to it. We don't we don't hear that very often. And I got to be completely honest with you. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, political discourse is part of the great thing that we have had for 260 years here. A right for political discourse in an open manner. Free speech, which means anybody can say anything about anybody or to anybody and not be fearful of the repercussions for just speaking your mind. And it works both ways. That's a good thing about it. It cuts both ways. Most of the time, I think you probably will agree that of late, it's not been so much that way. I mean, we can still speak our minds, 
but it's not going to be the way it was written to be in the beginning and the way it has lasted for most of those 200 years where if you say something I don't agree with, I just, I'll accept the fact that we disagree. Doesn't work that way much anymore. Somebody says something that you don't agree with and you express your displeasure and the fact that you don't agree with them, my my goodness, you better duck because there's going to be at least vile language coming your way, if not more. But all that's a story for another day. By the way, if you want to weigh in, feel free to call 866-37-TRUTH. That's 1-866-378-7884. Now, speaking about that First Amendment thing, you know who Merrick Garland is. He's our current U.S. Attorney General. He was a uh, Obama nominee to go on the U.S. Supreme Court, that uh, the Senate was a majority rule at that particular time by Republicans. They would not let Merrick Garland come up for confirmation hearings in the Senate. This was right at the end of Obama's second term. So he's got a chip on his shoulder, and boy, he's, he's since he's been named Attorney General and he took the job, he's kind of crossed the line, in my opinion, on a lot of, it, a lot of issues. So days after one national organization that represents some school board officials around the state. Now, I'm not talking about federal stuff. I'm just talking about schools in states around the nation. This group griped to the Biden administration about hate groups that are around the country intimidating education officials. You've seen these these news stories where they go to these school board meetings and they they just demand answers from school board members about things like the teaching of critical race theory and a whole bunch of other things. Attorney General Merrick Garland, guess what he's done? He told the FBI to go after, quote, threats of violence against school administrators. So without citing any specific cases, He issued a memo, the AG did, expressing concern about a, quote, disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, threats of violence against school administrators, board members, teachers, and staff who participate in the vital work of running our nation's public schools. While spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our Constitution, at least he acknowledged it, That protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. Now, let me put that in perspective. Threats of violence. Who determines what can be included without it being deemed a threat of violence? Who knows that? Who has that right? Garland didn't point to any laws, federal laws, that define it. Now, why are you bringing this up, Dan? It's simple. I want to point this out. All he did was draw a line in the sand, and he's basically letting every American, every parent that has gone to a school board meeting and asked questions and maybe gotten gotten up and started making a speech in anger, maybe said, if you don't do this, if you don't do whatever we're here for, this critical race theory is the big dominating thing at a lot of these meetings. If you don't do this, we're going to remove you from the board. 
There is a way to very easily make that distinction. And somehow, if there is no clear-cut definition of what uh, a threat of violence really is, and by the way, I'm not even sure in any federal statute it says that, threat of violence. I know people, let let me give you an example. There is a man that lives in our area, a minister, and uh, he went after publicly against somebody who I am very close to in ministry, and social media got involved in it. And so I uh, I defended this person that was being attacked by this, this other guy. And in a social media a private message, not a public one, not on Facebook or whatever, but a, in a private message. I told this this person that was uh, really getting nasty and aggressive against this person with whom I'm very close. I said, you don't understand. I'd kill for him. And you and I both know what that is. That's just a term. I would never kill anybody. And I sure wouldn't threaten anybody. He turned me into the authorities for threaten, threatening to kill him. So why are you, why I'm saying that is to explain. Interpretation is the key. And if there is no clear, cut, and termed definition of what a threat of violence is, and if that doesn't extend to a specific federal statute that defines it in some specific way, then what it means is the attorney general, it could just be his opinion of what those words mean or some other prosecutor or some investigator of the FBI. Now, here's the part that scares me if anything does in all of this. We no longer live in a nation where there's a presumption of the innocence of anybody. Everybody goes right to the guilty and unless and until proven innocent thing. That's the environment in which we find ourselves. And the second big thing that scares me, do you have any concept? If you should happen, in a case like I just told you about me, if that would have ever exacerbated and ended up going into law enforcement at the local level or state level, and they came with an arrest warrant and arrested me, do you know the chaos that would ensue? Folks, Often now, even when you're right, when you're in the right, and somebody, this is America, we hear this said all the time, anybody can sue anybody in the United States at any time about anything, and that's absolutely correct. Well, in the old days we said, come on, bring it on. I didn't do anything wrong. Well, we don't do that anymore. Do you know how costly litigation is? I'm talking about civil litigation and criminal litigation. And there are really big, great, great big differences between local, state, and federal. You don't want to be charged with the federal crime. It doesn't matter if you're guilty or innocent. It's going to cost you a fortune. Do you know that for criminal representation in a state matter now, a state matter. Now keep in mind, you have the presumption of innocent by law, but that doesn't mean you have it by perception. 
So these prosecutors, they have to technically treat you in a courtroom like you're innocent until proven guilty, technically, legally. But perceptually, they're going to come after you. They go into every situation with the opposite. You're guilty. And basically their basis for being able to do that, in their minds at least, they're saying, well, why would we arrest them if there wasn't cause? You follow my conversation? So what kind of dollars are you talking about? In my town, in this town right here, if you get popped for something criminal and you have to go hire a good criminal attorney, they'll ask you for a twenty dollars or $40,000 $40, advance up front. They won't even agree to take a case until you pay them a bunch of money. So what Merrick Garland, Attorney General, is doing, he said it. While spirited debate about policy matters is protected under our Constitution, that protection does not extend to threats of violence or efforts to intimidate individuals based on their views. But he took it one step further. He continued, threats against public services are not only illegal. Threats against public servants are not only illegal. They run counter to our nation's core values. Those who dedicate their time and energy to ensuring that our kids receive a proper education in a safe environment, they deserve to be able to do their work without fear for their safety. You get that, don't you? If there really is a federal statute that is written the way he just interpreted it there, there's no way you'll ever win. There isn't. Because it's so wide open and so broad, it would mean one thing. It would be the determination made based upon the opinions of who's adjudicating that case if it ever goes to trial. A judge? Oh, and then you got to figure out who the heck the judge is going to be. Or the jury. And what are the circumstances? Folks, I have seen a case actually adjudicated, a civil case, with millions of dollars at stake, and the opinion, the deciding opinion that came down from the judge, it was found out later that morning he and his wife got into a fight. He hit her in the face and hurt her. She had to go to the hospital. He's sitting in court. He's hacked off. He's scared, and he made the final decision on that multi-million dollar case. Don't tell me that what was going in his mind at the time this decision-making had to be made? Don't tell me what happened at his house that morning didn't weigh in on to his final decision. We just never know. What are you saying? I'm saying don't put yourself in that particular place. I'm not saying don't go to the school board meetings. I want you to. I want you to stand up and speak your heart, speak your mind. But don't threaten anybody. Don't do anything that even borders. Don't even walk up close to the line. Oh, I didn't cross the line. Well, you got closer than you really should have because somebody's sitting out there that would be in a position to make some criminal action against you occur. They might would take that lead and try to interpret what you said to be a threat of violence. Stay away from it. It's one thing to be good. It's another thing to be smart. Wow. Yeah. We got to be careful these days, folks. 
We've got vaccine news on several fronts that you need to hear. And there's a whole bunch more. Oh my goodness. Folks, we could stay here for hours on end and never touch everything, the important things that we need. There is so much going on. It just makes you want to cry sometimes. Instead, hey, stay on your knees, right? Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. iHeartRadio goes one-on-one with Selena Gomez with the best advice she has for her fans. Don't change for anyone, you know? I think that you constantly go through phases in your life where you meet new people or exciting people and you want to be everything that they want or need and it's just not worth it if you're not really happy with who you are and or if you're not wanting to be someone that you're not, it's just not worth it. Keep listening to iHeartRadio for more Selena Gomez and all your favorite artists. Here's good news. Even with high unemployment, there's still a need for hundreds of thousands of cybersecurity professionals in the U.S. right now. And my computer career is training people to help meet the demand. No IT experience? No problem. Take the free career evaluation today at mycomputercareer.edu. Start your new life as an IT pro in as little as four months. Grants covering up to 53% of the cost are available to those who qualify. It's not rocket science. It's mycomputercareer.edu. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water. Vitamin water. Regular water. Vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry dragon fruit and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. That song came out right before Michael McDonald joined the group, the Doobie Brothers. The first big hit was Long Train Running with his voice. Great album. Good album. Uh, Doobie Brothers. Music was a little different back then from what music is today. I'm not saying anything bad about today. I like music. I'm a musician, keyboard guy. I really like music. And uh, it gives you sometimes, it gives you a, a place to go while you're doing other things where you can be a little bit peaceful. You know what I'm saying? When you got a lot of chaos around, whatever your favorite type of music is, hey, pop in the earbuds, listen to some iTunes. Sometimes it can make a day go a whole lot better in the middle of a bunch of nasty circumstances. Just think about this. What if you lived in New York State today and you were a healthcare worker and you were an anti-vaxxer for any one of a number of reasons. I mean, you could object religiously. Um, you could say, you know, I had COVID-19. I've got the antibodies now. I don't need to be vaccinated. There are a lot of reasons not to get vaxxed. Of course, the media and the Democrat Party, they portray it. If you don't get the vaccine, it's because you're a conspirator and you're deadly because you're going to infect people that have already been vaccinated and they're going to die. That in itself is is the stupidest thing I've ever heard, but we're living in a world where that is happening, 
And that is being used as a weapon against people that want to get vaccinated. A large New York healthcare system yesterday said they fired 1,400 workers, bam, because they declined to get vaccinated. Northwell Health, which is a big system, a huge system, they terminated terminated about 2% of its workforce. And they have facilities all across New York City, Westchester, and Long Island. The workforce across the 23 hospital system is now 100% vaccinated. That's because they fired everybody they wanted. One spokesman said, Northwell believes that having a fully vaccinated workforce is an important measure in our duty to protect the health and safety of our staff, our patients, and the communities we serve. This allows us to continue to provide exceptional care at all of our facilities with no interruption and remain open and fully operational. And of course, wah, 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 Northwell regrets losing any employee under these circumstances, but as healthcare professionals and members of the largest healthcare provider in the state, we understand we have a unique responsibility to protect the health of our patients and, of course, each other. Hey, 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 I've been vaccinated, but you might give me COVID, so, you know, get your COVID shot. And then you still may give me COVID, and I may give it to you. But you know what? Symbolically, the COVID gods know we all tried. We got vaccinated. No, that person didn't say that, but that's in context what it means. So um, they just went quiet. There are a bunch of folks that wanted to reach out and get some comments. They wouldn't talk to anybody. Healthcare workers in the state were ordered by that new governor, Kathy Hochul, who's a Democrat, to get a vaccine. A legal challenge was partially dismissed late last month, except for those seeking that religious exemption. Also, President Biden's administration plans on releasing a new nationwide requirement for employers who have 100 or more to maintain a vaccine or a weekly COVID-19 testing. Well, then that's already been done, right? No, it hasn't. There is no rule that has been put in place to make what Biden said he was going to do, make it happen. And it keeps every day not happening. The rules got to come. The rules got to come. The rules got to come and it doesn't come, why do you think they're not doing it? Because they know the day it comes out, there are people in the dozens, maybe hundreds, standing in line, some of the best lawyers in the nation, to file an immediate federal lawsuit against it to demand a temporary stay against requiring people to get vaccinated. And so what's happening in the meantime? Politicians, Democrats, leaders who are hardcore pro-vaccine, they're all saying, you might as well go ahead and get it. You're about to have to anyway. I don't think it's ever going to be the total type of mandates that we think this is. I don't think legally it's going to be allowed to get there. And I can promise you this, it's going all the way to the top to the U.S. Supreme Court. So in New York, thousands of unvaxxed healthcare workers, they were put on unpaid leave last week according and because of the governor's mandate. The situation led to some disruptions. Strong Memorial Hospital, as an example, said it was pausing some elective procedures for a couple of weeks. Northwell workers fired because of their refusal to get vaxxed were being denied benefits like employer contributions to retirement plans. One registered nurse, 
He was fired from his job at Staten Island University Hospital, which is part of Northwell, last week. He said he didn't agree with the vaccine mandates because he'd recovered from COVID. And there are studies that show, every study that is objective and scientific will show people who recover from the disease enjoy similar protection, if not better, against later infection than those who get vaccinated. All this is going to lead to is worse care for the patients, he said, and I'm just disgusted by it. Northwell workers protested against the mandate on the day it went into effect, arguing it violated people's freedom. So, again, watch what's going to happen. Watch what's going to happen and what it's going to do to people. You remember that vaccine mandate in New York City for every teacher there? Well, a mandate requiring city teachers and other school staff to get the vaccine went into effect, making one of the first U.S. school district mandates requiring employees to be inoculated. Mayor Bill de Blasio, he raised his hand and set the edict back on October 1. He warned the city's 150,000 public school workers that unvaccinated employees would be placed on unpaid leave and would not be allowed to work. The mandate went into effect on the 1st, meaning all teachers and workers would have to have received at least one dose by this past Monday morning. Michael Mulgrew of the United Federation of Teachers said that 97% of its members have gotten at least one dose. At any time, if they get vaxxed, they can go back to work the following day, he said. So according to the numbers, data provided by the city as of October 1, 98% of principals, 93% of teachers, 90% of Department of Education workers have gotten at least one dose. Meanwhile, City Schools Chancellor Misha Porter told a news outlet that she doesn't expect the mandate to trigger a teacher or staffing shortage. We have more subs that are vaxxed than unvaxxed. Teachers and our superintendents have been working with our principals to develop plans to ensure students get the education and continue to get the education they deserve in person. So that all sounds cool. Why are you talking about that, Dan? I'm talking about that because of this. A group of about a hundred people, a group of about a hundred African Americans gathered yesterday at the Brooklyn Bank in New York and they were there to express their massive and deep-seated opposition to these vaccine mandates. New York City has implemented vaccine mandates on healthcare workers, school staff, all those who work or patronize restaurants, bars, nightclubs, catering halls, event spaces, gyms, fitness centers, pools, theaters, museums, aquariums, and zoos, and yada, 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 yada. Hadn't stopped the people that jump out when you're driving through Manhattan and you get to an intersection with the light, you get stopped and they jump out, they clean your windshield and sit there and demand that you give them something. That hadn't stopped. You don't have to be vaxxed for that. According to some recent data, blacks are the least vaccinated ethnic group in New York City. 40% of them, only 40% are fully vaccinated. So that meeting they had, those 100 people, it was vibrant. It was loud. It often involved talk of rallying spiritual power. 
It was hosted and organized by Angela Stanton King, who's the founder of the American King Foundation, and also Kevin Jenkins, who's CEO of Urban Global Health Alliance. Jenkins said this, Black Americans all across America are waking up. They realize modern-day slavery is upon them again. In black communities, he said, they are starting to have serious dialogue and are strategizing on how to fight back. They're saying no to the vaccine slave passport and no to segregation. We have a long, dark history with bigotry and exploitation, and we're asking the world to stand with us. It's time to fight back. Kwame Brown spoke during the gathering, advocating for freedom of choice. He's the first high school basketball player in NBA history to be drafted in the first overall pick. Our community needs to remember that they told women it was their body, their choice, when it came to abortion, and really realize what that means, that they don't care about your body or your kids. Stay strong, he said. Fight for your freedom of choice in a peaceful way. King, who hosted the meeting, said medical apartheid is population control. Population control comes in different forms, vaccines, abortions, mass incarceration, and perverted sexual agendas targeting children. Population control is racist from the womb to the tomb. It's time, y'all, she said. There were a couple of doctors in the speaking role, two of them, Stella Emanuel and Carrie Madish. They both talked about vaccine and COVID-related information that they said was largely suppressed by mainstream media and big tech platforms. Attorney Trish Lindsay, another speaker at the meeting, told attendees they shut the churches down to force people to get indoctrinated into an entirely new religion. The crowd was loud. Now, what data, what information could she have been referencing that they're keeping it quiet. They don't want to talk about it. Well, let me tell you what it is. If you weren't with us yesterday, you didn't hear these numbers. We do this every Monday. We get the VAERS numbers from the CDC. VAERS stands for the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. It is a page on the CDC website. Now, it's not, if you go to their website, and it's, it's voluminous. I mean, there is no telling how much information is on that website all kinds of data reports. You can even download and and sort and all kind of things, but you have to spend a lot of time. I mean, what I'm about to tell you, you can't go to the CDC website and do a Google search on their website and the little search thing at the top right and come up with these numbers. You can find them painstakingly if you go here and they send you to this place and there's a click on there to get some more stuff and you put the numbers together. They purposely make it very, very difficult to find the numbers. Why would they do that? Because the numbers are bad. Through September 24th, that's a week and 10 days ago. No, not week and 10, let's see. Today is the 5th, September 24th. So Friday a week ago. Now these are reported adverse event, vaccination-only related incidents that happened. 15,937 deaths. All of these numbers are from January 1 this year through September 24th. Less than nine months. 
right at 16,000 deaths, 71,000 hospitalizations, 85,000 urgent care cases, 117,000 doctor office visits, 6,800 cases of anaphylaxic shock, 9,000 cases of Bell's palsy, 2,262 miscarriages, 7,600 heart attacks, 6,800 cases of myocarditis or pericarditis, 21,000 permanently disabled Americans, 34,000, excuse me, 3,400 thrombocytopenia low platelet cases, 17,000 other life-threatening occurrences, 28,000 severe allergic reactions, and 8,200 cases of shingles. Now, there's a couple of kickers here. The first one is the CDC themselves. They say that these are only the reports of these occurrences that they receive from doctors around the nation. And they make it very clear. We don't get we don't get them all. In fact, we think the real numbers are probably from 50 to 100% higher than the numbers that are actually reported. 50% more to 100% more. In fact, Basically, they're saying these numbers, at least around the nation, all rolled in, will be twice this. In other words, instead of 15, 16,000 deaths, it's 30,000. Instead of 70,000 hospitalizations, it's 140,000. And the numbers go on and on. So what does this mean, Dan? What it means, folks, is there are problems with these vaccines. They're causing things that historically nothing like this has ever happened. Do you realize that beginning in 1990, when the CDC first began to track these adverse reactions to vaccines only, this is not COVID-19 cases, folks. This is COVID-19 vaccine cases. Since 1990, all the way through September 24th of this year, Vaccine deaths from 1990 until December 31st of last year, a total of 1,930 people died from reactions to vaccines, and those vaccines include all of the stuff that you and I took to go to school. I mean, all of them rolled in. I mean, all of them together. 1,900 in 31 years. 1,900 already reported 16,000 now. So these African-American people in New York City, they don't want to get vaccinated. They don't want to have to carry this around to be able to go to a subway and eat lunch or go work out at the gym. And people say, why don't you trust the science? Folks, these these are numbers. These are numbers that come from the Bureau of Science, the one place they say you can't object or disagree with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. They are the experts on all of this. Their numbers, the CDC numbers, 
they're the ones that are providing these to us, and they tell us it could be way worse than this, and probably is. And to just conflate it even more, this morning, (laughs) another damning story about the COVID-19 vaccine, the Pfizer-BioNTech, the effectiveness of the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine, according to the scientists, falls below 50% now after five months. So in other words, you get a vaccine. They told us from the very beginning, if you get it, you know how vaccinations work. You get it one time. And what it's going to do, it's going to develop autoimmune immunity that comes naturally in your body throughout your entire future. And you'll be protected for the rest of your life against getting these diseases, getting against COVID-19. Well, now we find out five months after you're vaccinated with Pfizer's BioNTech, yeah, you've got less than a 50% chance to not get COVID-19 after that. How did they figure this out? Well, researchers analyzed electronic health records of about three and a half million men and women who were members of the healthcare organization Kaiser Permanente. They're massive. They cover California, but this was specifically from Southern California between December 14th and August 8th of this year and assessed the vaccine effectiveness up to six months after they were vaccinated. They found that the Pfizer vaccine was 88% effective in the first month but dropped to 47% effectiveness after five months. Now, the vaccine was also found in this testing to be highly effective against the Delta variant, providing 93% effectiveness in the first month after full vaccination, but that also dropped to about 50% after four months. In comparison, effectiveness against other non-Delta variants was 97% after one month, declined to 67% after four to five months. Now, what does this all mean? What it means, folks, you heard them talk about, you know, the Pfizer and the Moderna, they were originally just going to be a vaccination. But even before they started jabbing, they said, you know what? We're going to have to do a booster. So we don't know yet. It may be as soon as six weeks, you know, just to make sure you got enough of it for your body to be effective. Maybe six months. We don't know for a fact. And then they told us, ah, it's six months, but you know what? You're probably going to have to have a third. If the vaccine doesn't work, if it doesn't protect, if it's only temporary, why the heck are you forcing Americans, not giving anybody an option to say, you know what? I want to trust my natural immunity. You know, I want to adopt that my body, my choice thing that y'all been shoving down our throats about killing babies in the womb. And so if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Or in this case, abortion for a woman would be good for the goose. Good for the gander would be anybody else. It doesn't work that way, folks. They can't weaponize it. They can't use it to force us to do things or to get their way about anything and everything, everything that comes out of Washington, D.C. is about power. And there's no need to even deny it, folks. It is what it is. It's all about getting control over you and me. 
And then there's the Pentagon now. Listen to this. The Pentagon yesterday, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, you remember him. He was the Afghanistan guy. He was also the Iraq War uh, guy, and he was the Benghazi guy. He was over Central CENCOM at that particular point, and he's the one that made the decision personally not to send anybody to Benghazi to save those four people that got slaughtered. Oh, no, that's all going to, it's going to just blow over. On his watch yesterday, the Department of Defense said all U.S. civilian employees have got to be fully vaccinated by November 22nd. That only gives them a couple of weeks to get a shot. The workers are considered fully vaxxed two weeks after getting the second dose of either Moderna or Pfizer or that single dose of the Johnson & Johnson. For employees that opt to receive the two-dose Moderna, they would have to receive their first shot by October 11th. I mean, they've even got it down to the dates that you got to get these things. Individuals who are slated to get Pfizer's two-shot vax would have to get their first dose by October 18th. Second-dose deadline for both Moderna and Pfizer is November 8th. Employees who get the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is just one dose, will have to receive their shot by November 8th. To defend the nation, the memo says, and protect the American people, we need a healthy and ready total force. To accomplish this, the Secretary of Defense directed the mandatory vaxes of service members against the coronavirus by uh, disease by signing the memorandum. In August, the memo continued to say, adding that President Joe Biden signed an executive order on September 9th that requires federal employees and contractors to be vaccinated. Now, one just like this was issued over the weekend by the White House, their Office of Personnel Management, saying that federal workers have until November 8th to get both doses of the Moderna or Pfizer or the Johnson & Johnson And there says this, employees who refuse to be vaccinated or provide proof of vaccination are subject to disciplinary measures up to and including removal or termination from federal service. Federal employees, right? Federal employees. And they're still not telling. This should have a disclaimer in it. This should have a disclaimer that says federal employees, with the exception of anybody that works in the White House, any member of the United States Congress, Senate or U.S. House of Representatives, and in addition to that, anybody that works for these senators in their offices, either in D.C. or in their regions that they represent in the states around the nation, none of those folks have to get vaxxed. They didn't want us to know that. In fact, it was already determined before Joe Biden issued that mandate for employers who have a hundred or more employees, vaccines would be mandated. Even before he said that, they had already planned to exempt themselves and members of Congress. Why would they do that? I want somebody in authority to answer that question. Why would you do that? Why would you exempt them? They can't infect anybody. Just because they work for you, Does that give them some some kind of physical immunity? They're not going to catch it. They're not going to spread it around. And oh, by the way, it comes up, you know, you get the vaccination. You get the second dose. You're going to be fine. 
80% of the people in the nation of Israel today, 80% of the people that have COVID and are hospitalized, 80% of those have been totally vaccinated. Not only did they get COVID, they got such a bad case, they had to be hospitalized. Now you tell me, give me a plausible explanation. Give me any justification, realistic, based on the facts, the data, based on the VAERS report that we just gave to you once again, exhaustively those numbers. Just because in light of what's happening in Israel, breakthrough infections, You gotta, you gotta let Americans decide if the cost justifies the means. And the cost, it kills people, folks, maims people. We should have that right of choice. When you're fed up with the nagging heartburn of today's lies, how do you spell relief? TNN, the Truth News Network. At Target, our first priority is the health of you, your families, and our team members. That's why we now require guests to wear a mask or face covering and continue to provide masks and gloves to protect our team members. Every day, we deep clean our stores and wipe down carts and baskets after every use. And you can always count on easy, contactless shopping options like drive-up and same-day delivery. We believe in always taking care, and we'll always do that for you. Learn more at Target.com slash a bullseye view. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. In a world of change, one thing remains constant. The bedrock of truth. Welcome to the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org Bedrock. Bedrock. I like that term. Makes it sound solid. Nobody's going to mess with this. It's got a great foundation. I want, in, in, in light of the conversation we just had, I want you to listen to the brain surgeons over at CNN. They, uh, they found somebody that they could put up there, kind of like being on the witness stand. They found a nurse, a frontline worker, somebody that's in the healthcare industry and knows, has the science in their faces every day, all day, and yet they don't want to get vaccinated. Wow. How could anybody, how could anybody make such a stupid choice based upon all the facts, the science, somebody in the business. Oh, come on now. Well, CNN marched out their medical expert, Dr. Gupta, who based upon the stuff that's come out of his mouth since this COVID-19 thing began almost two years ago, I'll just put it very succinctly and tell you this guy, if he is, if he has ever practiced medicine, I can see a wake of people in his past that probably paid some significant health care cost for some of the things that he told them to do and not do. But that's probably a story for another day. Listen to the brain surgeons over at CNN, and you'll hear this nurse, 
do some explaining, but listen to the way they treat her and talk about her just for herself saying, you know what? I'm not so sure about these vaccines. The vaccine mandate went into effect for healthcare workers in California today and appears to have compelled tens of thousands of unvaccinated employees to get shots in recent weeks. According to the New York Times, a survey of more than a dozen of the state's major hospital systems shows that vaccination rates this week of 90% or higher, but that leaves as much as 10% who are refusing to get the vaccine. So the question is why? Why are so many medical professionals on the front lines of the virus reluctant to actually get vaccinated. Dr. Sanjay Gupta talked with one nurse about her hesitation and why she uh, has made that decision. He joins us now. It's fascinating. So the nurse you spoke to is in Wisconsin. Were you surprised what she told you? I was surprised, Anderson. I think, you know, part of the reason I was surprised was because I kind of feel like at this point with everything that I know about the, the vaccine that I can if I have enough time with somebody, I can convince them. I can answer their questions. I can convince them. And especially when it comes to a healthcare worker, someone who lives in an environment where they're continuously surrounded by good information and good knowledge about this. But what I learned talking to her is that there's a lot going on here. So listen to part of the conversation. It shouldn't be a choice between a personal healthcare decision and, you know, the job that we love. You would lose your job over this. Obviously, it's heartbreaking. It's it's almost like a grieving process, to tell you the truth. Andrea Babinski is among the tens of millions of Americans who are eligible to get vaccinated against COVID-19, but haven't. And what's more, she's been a nurse at Gunderson Health System in La Crosse, Wisconsin, for more than 12 years. Ever since this mandate came down, many, many more people are quitting and leaving healthcare in our specific hospital. And we're not just talking nursing department, we're talking the EAs, which is the housekeeping department, we're talking dietary, laundry, respiratory therapy department. At Gunderson, about 85% of the staff have been vaccinated, but a small group has instead staged protests at the hospital, including Andrea herself. One of her specific health concerns, blood clots. If you were my patient, let's say we were having this conversation in a patient room instead, I would tell you, look, I, I, I hear your concern about clotting, but if you have a clotting disorder, you should get the vaccine because you'd be at increased risk of clotting if you got the disease. You know that very well with this pandemic, this vaccine, this virus, um, the science is constantly changing. And I understand that science is changing as we find out more things. But I think with the vaccines, I think when you have close to 6 billion shots that have now been administered around the world, and you have data, you know, trial data from last year that shows the safety and the effectiveness of these vaccines, and then real world data over the last nine months, it really does. Her religious beliefs, she was coerced into taking. They are not reported because they want to show it under the mask. Oh, God, I, I signed NDAs against this. So your antibodies are probably better at that point than the vaccination. You're not wearing a wire, right? <laughs> Our next installment in the series exposing Big Pharma will feature multiple releases inside one of the nation's largest COVID vaccine manufacturers, Pfizer. The series features not one, not two, but three scientists within Pfizer talking to one of our undercover journalists, making stunning admissions about the COVID vaccine and the culture inside of Pfizer. Like, we're like bred and taught to be like, like, vaccine is safer than than actually getting COVID. And that's like, like, 
honestly, we have to we have to do so many seminars on this. Like, you have no idea. Like, we have to like sit there for hours and hours and listen to like be like, you cannot like talk about this in public. You know, logically though, like if you have antibodies built up, like you should be able to prove that you have those built up. Like, and just be like, I don't know, maybe potentially that doesn't seem that crazy. Here we are, folks. And we have all of this quote-unquote science, all of this uh, misinformation. And we're making life and death decisions based upon things that we don't know, that we don't understand. And we're being told over and over and over again, you got to listen. Oh, you you just got to be quiet and listen. We are experts. We know. And then we find over and over and over again and again and again what we're told are facts or not true at all. And still there are things out there that we are told we should do and things we're told we shouldn't do. Why? We ask and we get the answer because we say so. And we have the power to force you to do these things and it's like when you were in the car in the back seat with your little brother or little sister when y'all were going on a trip with the family and you're back there cutting up too much and your dad's driving and he says, y'all need to be quiet. Mom says, hey, y'all quit that. And it just not only keeps going, but it ramps up. It gets louder and louder. And they're slapping and hitting and laughing. And finally your dad says, don't make me come back there. And usually for most kids, they know. Maybe the first time dad says that, he's not going to pull over and do anything, so you ignore him. But the second time, I told y'all I'd come back there. Get out of this car. I'm going to whoop you. That's the threat that's hanging over what our government is telling us. And have you noticed? It gets more egregious. It gets firmer. It gets more demonstrative again and again and again. And finally, we become fearful of what might happen if we don't toe the line, if we really don't just sit down and shut up and listen to what they're telling us because they're the bosses. They have the power. Wow. I would tell you that there's not a lot more that we can say about COVID-19 and vaccinations and all the misinformation and the chaos, the uncertainty, the fear, and the fact this is the only thing that really matters, folks. You gotta find, you gotta find what fits you. You've got to get to a place in your mind and your heart where you're okay with where you are. You can't let fear drive your decisions. We can't do that. Almost every time we make a life decision based totally or maybe mostly on fear, it turns out to be a bad choice. So you got to find ways to discern between truth and fiction. And sadly, sometimes we, we have to base that just based on the fact that we don't have the ability. We don't really know. We don't know what's in the Pfizer vaccine. We don't know what bad stuff's in it. Same thing about Moderna. Same thing about Johnson and Johnson, we don't know. We don't know what's in this virus. We know many things about it. But you know what? Just because you know about something doesn't mean you know it. 
I'll give you a little biblical perspective. You remember the Bible? Jesus in the New Testament, he had 12 disciples. Those were handpicked people that he he uh, he brought in to travel and live with him to learn about him, what he was all about, learning about Christianity, what it meant to serve God, how to communicate with each other, all of the fundamental things. Basically what Jesus did, he went back and grabbed those 10 commandments that everybody in the quote-unquote modern world thought were too old-fashioned. And basically what Jesus did, and I mean he said it in Matthew, he said, it has been said, and he went through each one of the 10, and he said, basically, here's what they said back then, but what we're doing now is we're going to double up. He made them even stronger. He defined them even more so. Well, one guy, a guy named Saul, he was a member of the Sanhedrin court, which was the religious political structure of the day. And they, back then, they controlled all of the social, the legal things that happened for the Israeli people. All of it. I mean, top to bottom. They were the bosses. There were, uh, They were under Roman control at the time, and so Caesar was in power. And so that was kind of like the over-government, but there inside of that Roman Empire, they had their own political processes. And Paul was on that court, the Sanhedrin court, and they hated Christianity. They hated Jesus because he came as the son of God. He came as a man and he was out there doing miracles and preaching sermons that were against their old time, old fashioned religious beliefs and the legal actions that they had put in place based upon their religious beliefs. So Paul was out there going around finding Christians and seeing to it that they were done away with. And he had a meeting on the road after Jesus was crucified. He had a face-to-face meeting with Jesus after Jesus was resurrected. And so this guy Saul, he changed his name to Paul, and he became the greatest missionary in world history still to this day. He established churches all over the Roman Empire, all over the Middle East, and um, he did it. He never physically met Jesus before Jesus died. But he really knew Jesus probably better than anybody. If you read any of his writings, I mean, he wrote the book of Romans, supposedly first and second Corinthians and most of the New Testament. So he was pretty sharp and he had a lot of things to say. And I can tell you this, he knew Jesus better than most people I've ever known. But yet at the end of his life, Philippians 3 verse 10, I'll never forget this verse as long as I live. At the end of his life, he's about, to, he's about to leave the earth. And he looked back at what he did, what he had done. And he had done, as I said, more than most other Christians ever done. And he said at the end of his life, that I may know him. <laughs> what was he saying? He was saying, you know what? I'm questioning myself. Maybe I really didn't know Jesus, but I knew a lot about him. Knowing about something, this is the whole point of this whole story. If you know about something, if you know something about somebody, or you've heard something about somebody, is it as good as knowing that person? If I have the option, I'm going to choose the latter. I want to know the person. I'd rather know the person than know what 
you think about that person or what someone else thinks about that person or about you. I'd rather know you. And this whole conundrum, this COVID-19 conundrum in which we find ourselves, we've been, we've been dumped right in the middle of it. And there is so much noise, so much disinformation. We have no idea what to believe or who to believe. So in this case, folks, the whole purpose for this segment is to tell you, keep looking, keep pushing, keep fighting. Don't just benignly sit down and stop and leave the options that you're going to make, that you're supposed to make for yourself, maybe for your small children. You're supposed to make for them regarding everything, even COVID-19 and how to take care of it. It's better to know than to know about. Keep digging. Get the facts. You got that? <laughs> I think you, you can understand it at this particular point. You know what we haven't talked about in a few days? Two things. Southern border. Illegal immigrants. Chaos. Crisis. Catastrophe. All of that represents our southern border. And then this Afghanistan thing. We still don't have any resolution there. We still don't know what's going on about Afghanistan. Yesterday on Fox and Friends, Senator Tom Cotton out of Arkansas criticized the president over their ill-planned, disorganized, chaotic withdrawal out of Afghanistan. Cotton said Biden screwed up the thing. Now there's almost no way to vet the Afghans that are already on U.S. soil. He's talking to Ainsley. And uh, Cotton said when he asked if every Afghan refugee has been vetted yet. He said, no, absolutely not. And Joe Biden screwed it up coming and going. So first, we let a lot of people in Afghanistan who we should have gotten out. Second, we brought a lot of people out who shouldn't have been brought out. People who had no particular attachment to the U.S., who hadn't fought with our troops. You've seen reports of a young female soldier being assaulted at Fort Bliss in El Paso or sex offenses by Afghan men at Fort McCoy and other offenses. There's really no vetting of these people. You know, we were told going out of this that we were bringing all these people back that had worked for us. They had SVI, special visa immigrants. They'd been vetted. We knew who they were. We're going to get them out. So we brought 120,000 of them over here. Do you know what the number is among those 120,000 people that have those special visa immigrant status? 3%. Only 3%. The rest of them, we don't have a clue. Cotton said, I mean, it's hard to do in Afghanistan. That's one reason it took so long is you've got to go interview people face-to-face. -face. I mean, Afghanistan is a third-world country. You don't just call up the FBI or the high school or the local police. So we have almost no way to vet these people. The Biden administration is taking their name, if it is their name, testing it against databases, and if they don't come back, it's like, well, they must be okay to go. That's what they're doing, folks. That's what they're doing. And then we get a report today that Senate Republicans are demanding answers from Joe Biden and his administration about reports that hundreds of these Afghan evacuees that are at these military bases scattered around the nation, they're just walking off the bases. 
without completing the resettlement process. There are even pictures of people taking these Afghans, going in phone booths and calling Uber to come pick them up. They get in the Uber and they leave. They don't have to ask for permission. They don't have to tell anybody on the military base where they're going or why. And many of them are never coming back. So in a letter to Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, 16 Senate Republicans led by Joni Erst of Iowa, they argued that security vetting procedures to clear these evacuees remain unclear and incomplete and unless changed or insufficient to preserve the safety of our homeland. Many of these Afghans, they're at our military bases. They were brought there during the chaotic withdrawal. They were given the temporary status of humanitarian parole and then were expected to get their resettlement services to complete their transition into the U.S. Makes sense, doesn't it? The senator's letter demanded more information. It follows a report Saturday by Reuters that said at least 700 Afghan evacuees have already left U.S. bases without getting those services. Nobody knows who they are or where they are. Seven hundred. Immigration experts say that those individuals are not breaking the law. Why would they even bring that up? They say that military officials have no legal authority to even detain law-abiding Afghans. The senators worry some accuvies are slipping through alleged cracks in the vetting process. They're asking the administration to temporarily halt relocating Afghan evacuees to the U.S. unless and until they're fully vetted and they do hold those special immigration visas. And Nepal's resettlement of Afghans already paroled into the U.S. until the DOD Inspector General completes a thorough review of the vetting process and briefs members of Congress. We're concerned, they said. The hastily developed process creates gaps in security and criminal vetting and risk our nation's security. The vetting process must ensure the security, medical, and criminal screening of each Afghan seeking admittance into the U.S. Kind of like is required of, you know, legal immigrants that want to come to the U.S. And they go through a process. They're first of all vetted. They've really got to be taught. They have a process of going through things that they have to do. Why should we give, why would we give anybody just like the same thing about all these illegals flooding into our southern border? Why would any American in government expect or even consider giving anybody a free pass to just walk in? Many coming in with COVID. We don't know how many. We have estimates. We are told in some cases half. Half of those people coming across our southern border or infected with COVID. We don't know that. Oh, it's only 10 or 20%, Dan. You kidding? You kidding? Only? Only 10 or 20%? That's okay? What number is the right number for you? What number is okay? I got to be honest with you. I don't have one. I don't want one single one of those coming in. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Here, the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. 
Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. Welcome aboard Pizza Hut, where our legendary pan and stuffed crust pizzas will fly you to a world of flavors. Taste an all-American pizza sauce, juicy pepperoni, and farm-fresh mozzarella to discover America's mega pepperoni. Or explore the creamy pesto sauce. Chicken and mushroom is in the French creamy chicken mushroom. Fly far above the rest in taste and variety with five new pizzas. And thank you for flying Pizza Hut. of mine said he wanted to talk to me about my Volvo. I told him, thank you, that's between me and my gynecologist. He said, no, no, your car, your Volvo 850 Turbo Sports Wagon. I said, oh, that. No, nope, you can't drive it. Oh, I love my Volvo. Sure, it's safe, but gee, just because driving on the freeways of Southern California is the equivalent of playing bumper cars at the speed of light, what kind of reason is that? Volvos are still ultra-luxury imports, sleek and gorgeous and loaded to hear, safe and sexy, and pardon me, I have to go hug my car now. Want safe and sexy? Viva la Volvo. Test drive a Volvo 850 at your Southern California Volvo dealer. Since when is safe sexy, another friend asked. Hey, I said, what decade are you living in? I think um, I think our government has missed it on the refugee thing. I mean, in Afghanistan, obviously, that was grossly mishandled. There are many people, many experts that are saying it was purposely mishandled so as to get a bunch of other immigrants over here and get them in in total disregard of who they really might be. I don't don't ask me. I don't understand why any of them would do that. I can't imagine them wanting to bring anybody into the U.S. that they don't know everything about them. Tulsi Gabbard, you remember her? She's from Hawaii. She ran against uh, everybody else that ran for the Democrat nomination for the 2020 election. She didn't make it, of course, but she is a military person. She still today is a United States Army Reserve officer. And on Sunday, she weighed in on the way this stuff happened in Afghanistan. According to her... The mission in Afghanistan was effective in defeating al-Qaeda back in the beginning. She added that what went wrong was the nation's leaders lost sight of the mission there. Our mission to go into Afghanistan, she said, initially, to go after al-Qaeda, the jihadist terrorist who attacked us on 9-11, declared war against us. She said it was justified. We sent special forces in who very expeditiously and effectively defeated al-Qaeda very quickly. What went wrong after that was when leaders in our country lost sight of that very direct and important mission, and instead they began to embark on regime change, wars, and nation-building exercises around the Middle East. And as we've seen over the last 20 years in Afghanistan specifically, even senior leaders in our government across Democrat and Republican administrations didn't know what the mission was to be there. Gabbard then warned of the danger she sees posed by Pakistan now, which she noted supported the Taliban too. Pakistan, by the way, is a nuclear country. 
They have a nuclear arsenal. So the issue that we're seeing, the threat that we're facing, the danger there, given these alliances, given the ideology that is fueling them, should be a grave concern to our country. You know, it's just amazing to me. We have all of these major problems and issues, major things to deal with. And we have a guy as president that's been around D.C. for 50 years. I mean, if anybody should know everything about what's happening in government, it would be Joe Biden. But he walks around in a fog. And we have no confidence. I have no shred of trust in the fact that he understands everything that's going on every day. And I think he's turning for guidance to people who are making decisions that a president is supposed to make. Wow. Tomorrow's going to be a big day. God promised you everything you need for today, today. So trust that and trust he's got for you whatever you're going to need tomorrow. We're going to be here, as always, 9 to 11 tomorrow morning, Central Time. And we want you to come back. Spread the word. Thank you so much for being a part of this. We love you. And uh, just know this. The best is yet to come. As bad as it may be, folks, it's going to get better. See ya.
if it needs some proof, but when we won't know I need it. 